is good to be back at Riverside Chapel. And uh, thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, had I been, had I not been invited, I probably would not have known that something like this <laughs> was actually taking place. I was not asked to share a testimony, but had I been asked, I would have said that the first time I came to Riverside, <laughs> was somewhere very close to the time the meetings were starting at Valleyview. And it was at the invitation of friends I used to visit at the Copperbelt University. I was studying at Nortech in Indola at the time, but I used to visit Kitwe regularly to visit my friends at the Copperbelt University. And they would have included Brian Indovu, uh, Pritam Kalula, Jimmy Lungu, and so many others. And, uh, they used to invite me to come with them to Riverside, and uh, that is what began my relationship with Riverside. When I moved to Kitwe to work here for ZCCM, in those days, I took up membership at Kitwe Chapel, and uh, like others did, I soon discovered that I could be more useful here. And so I moved to Riverside and uh, participated in a number of ways. Um, three things I did along with others. I participated in the evangelistic activity in the Riverside area. There weren't as many houses as there are today, but uh, we visited quite a few homes and I might have shared this with you. I remember an incident we had. I was with you much better, and we were visiting homes, and uh, we got into this home. We were welcomed in by a boy, and then uh, he offered us seats, and then went to call his father. When his father came, he greeted us, and before long, he asked what it was we had come for. And we said we had gone to preach the gospel to him. And he responded something like, preach the gospel to me? Out! <laughs> and we thought he was joking. He said it again. Now son sounding a little more irritated. We looked at each other and decided the best thing to do was to leave. And so we went out. But we also had uh, uh, very good experiences ministering to people in this area. I also participated in uh, leading the YP group. I think it was probably the very first YP group. And uh, you could not wish for a better group than the one we had, about 
25 young people or so. And uh, I'm not sure whether there was an actual eldership here at the time. Mr. Uh, Valentine, where are you? Were you elders or just part of a leadership team of sorts? <laughs> a leadership team of sorts, yes. So the leaders then asked me to take charge of the YP group. And um, we had great times. We learned a lot of theology. And um, most of the names that have been mentioned of people who now find themselves in pastoral ministry were part of that group. Uh, Pastor Ndonji Kayombo, Pastor Joseph, Kiri, um, and, and quite a few others. They, they were all a part of that group. They were young, um, some of them just in primary school. <laughs> Uh, others in secondary school, grade eight, grade nine, but they were very, very keen, very, very zealous, and they drank theology like no other. And um, the Lord has blessed them and is using them in various ways. And then I used to participate in the preaching ministry in those days, I remember that in those days, the qualification for being a preacher seemed to have been, you had to have to be a male and you had to have a beard. <laughs> so all kinds of characters stood in the pulpit. And I remember that we sat with the leaders, a group of us, uh, myself, Happy, I think a couple of others, and we said, you know, why can't we recognize people who can actually preach? and uh, have only them preach. And uh, the leaders listened to that, and uh, so we had a team of preachers here at Riverside, from time to time supplemented by others who would come in from elsewhere. And uh, that seemed to take the church in a very good direction. I went into the ministry, the preaching ministry, uh, in Mufulira at Fairview Reformed Baptist Church from here. Uh, the elders of Kitwe Chapel and the leaders from this place uh, sent me off. That was about 35 years ago. So I'm pretty sure it's not a 30-year celebration we are having here. Um, 35 years when I left, and I was here for something like three years. Um, so 38 years ago uh, when I arrived here <laughs> and um, uh, things were already in motion when I arrived. So I think it's a very good 40 years or so when this work actually began. But I wasn't asked to share a testimony. I was asked to preach and so I want to draw your attention to God's word and to Hebrews and chapter 11. Ah, I can see my brother Jimmy there. <laughs> and he has specs these days. <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> can you see me, brother? <laughs> okay. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. I want to draw your attention really to a statement in verse 2. Looking unto 
Jesus. Some other versions of the Bible would say fixing our eyes on Jesus. But let's read verse 1 and 2 as well. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. As I thought about what would be best to share with you on this special occasion, I felt that directing our attention to Christ was probably the best thing to do. This church was established to preach Christ, to grow people in Christ, and to follow Christ. As you press on in your bid to continue realizing those aims, I thought my responsibility should be about encouraging you to continue looking unto Jesus. The book of Hebrews divides itself into two parts. You will have noted that. The first part, running from chapters 1 through to 11, is doctrinal. And the second, running from chapters 12 to the end of the book, is practical and applicatory. The doctrinal part highlights and demonstrates the superiority of Christ's priesthood over that of Aaron. The practical part, on the other hand, consists of practical exhortations, urging the Hebrews to be constant in their faith and in their service to Christ by virtue of his superiority. The writing of this book appears to have been occasioned by the fact that many Jews who had become believers in Christ were beginning to step out of Judaism into Christianity and were feeling discouraged in their Christian walk and were reversing their course on account of the fear of persecution by their own countrymen. The writer to the Hebrews, therefore, writes to exhort them not to give up, but to go on, to go on fighting, to go on serving the Lord, and to go on unto perfection. His appeal is based on the superiority of Christ over the Judaic system. Basically, he seems to be saying Christ is better 
than the angels, for they worship him. He is better than the leaders of the Jews, such as Moses, for he created them. He is better than the Aaronic priesthood, for his sacrifice was for all time, whereas theirs was temporary. He is better than the law, for he mediates a better covenant. In short, there is more to be gained in Christ than in anything that Judaism up to that moment could have offered. Pressing on in Christ, therefore, makes better sense. Our text, as you know, is part of the practical section. The writer urges his readers there to look unto Jesus, therefore. Not to Moses, not to Aaron, but to Jesus. And I wish to draw your attention to this exhortation because I, in fact, want to encourage you in this and on this special day to continue looking to Jesus. Like the believing Jews of old, you may be facing the temptation of sliding back from your faith. Maybe you are struggling with sin, and in spite of knowing that Jesus is all, you are being enticed away from him and are being called to look to other refuge. Are you perhaps being enticed to the world, to false prophets, to atheistic tendencies? Are you being nudged not to trust in Jesus? If you are, I wish to say unto you, fix your eyes on Jesus. Like the Jews of old, you may be suffering persecution because of your faith. Maybe it is at the hands of your fellow believers who don't believe as you do, who don't have theological emphasis that you do. Perhaps you are being victimized because of that, and you are feeling like giving up. I want to say to you, don't fix your eyes on Jesus. It may well be that you are being threatened by other powerful ways, people with forceful ability. Satan, the, the dazzling things of the world are all conspiring to shake your faith, to sap your joy in the Lord, to derail and make you fail as a Christian. Perhaps like the apostle Peter, when he was challenged to walk on water toward the Lord Jesus Christ, but instead began to look at the waves and consequently to sink, you may be going through something similar. 
I wish to say boldly to you this afternoon, fix your eyes on Jesus. To look unto Jesus or to fix our eyes on Jesus means to firmly gaze on him. To keep our gaze on Jesus. It indicates the action of one who is aware of rival attractions but deliberately looks away from them to cast his eyes on Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews in bringing this exhortation compares our Christian walk to running a race in order to win a prize. When running a race, it is best not to be looking at our own feet or to be looking behind us or over our shoulders, but to keep our eyes on the prize. Even so, our Christian walk must keep our eyes on Christ, the prize. Now concerning the need to run the race in order to win the prize, there are a number of things I want to share with us very quickly. And because we don't really have much time, we will be glancing upon these points rather quickly. A number of things I want us to note. First, note with me the prize to be won in the race. The prize to be won in the race. And as we think about the prize, I will be referring not just to our immediate text, but to the wider context, which would include the 11th chapter. And there is no doubt that the ultimate prize is Christ himself. Paul, you will recall, in Philippians, spoke about gaining Christ. He became a Christian in order to gain Christ. That's the ultimate prize. And I'll be speaking about it in a moment. But allow me to mention, as we think about the prize, also the fact that the prize is about being made perfect. Hebrews 11 and verse 40 uses that language. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. These saints that are mentioned in chapter 11, the so-called heroes of faith, were looking for perfection. They were willing to deny, to turn their backs on the world in order to pursue that perfection. And the, the writer to the Hebrews is saying they will have that perfection, but they will not have it apart from us. We are working for perfection. We are striving to be made perfect. In chapter 12, 
The writer to the Hebrews describes those that have gone before us as spirits of just men made perfect. And together with them, we will be resurrected. We will have a resurrected body. We will be glorified in body. We will be conformed to Christ both inwardly and outwardly. That's the prize. The prize is also what the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 11 and verse 26 refers to as the reward. The reward. Talking about Moses, he grew up in a palace, but he was willing to let go of all that for the sake of the reward. Verse 26, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Are you looking to the reward? And there is much that can be said about the reward. It can be a reference to the city of the living God, which has a foundation whose builder and maker is God. It can be a reference to heaven, if you like. It's a reference to the ultimate reward in which God himself will dwell with us. And when God is with you, you have the ultimate reward. Because God is everything. To have God is to be the happiest. To have God is to have no tears, no death, no sorrow, no pain, no inflation. The reward. That's the prize. The prize to be won in the race. But notice, secondly, the hindrances we meet with, we must meet with during the race. The hindrances. And there are three potential hindrances we meet with in the Christian race. The first is indwelling sin. Who doesn't battle with indwelling sin? You have been justified. You stand right before God. And yes, you are fighting for the reward. You are working for the reward, for the perfection. You have hope. And yet, the truth is that sin still lives in you. You have a desire to know God. And you do genuinely love God, don't you? But sin still lives in you. Sin has a being in you. It 
like a virus. You don't want the virus to be in you, do you? <laughs> you don't want that. Uh, and you do everything to fight off a virus. Sin is like a virus that you do not want. It has a being in you. You don't live in it, but it lives in you. And if you know anything of the experience that the Apostle Paul knew in Romans chapter 7, you must be in a war with indwelling sin. Using his own words, he says, when I would do good, evil is right there with me. When you are in the closet and it seems to you that you have an experience that is heaven-like, even then, even there, sin is right there with you. And you are meant to fight this sin to your dying day. I want to put it to you, beloved friend, that if you are not fighting with sin today, you are not born again. You are not a believer. You don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. It is non-believers who don't fight with sin. Because they live in sin. They love sin. Sin is their element. They have no reason to fight with that which they enjoy. But the true believers discover this enemy within. And they fight it. They struggle with it. That's one hindrance. Secondly, besetting sin. Besetting sin. Look at verse 12. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. The sin which so easily ensnares us. The sin that so easily entangles us. Have you experienced that sin? You, you seem to do well with so many other sins. But there is this one sin that so easily entangles you. We call it a besetting sin. A sin that lingers on even after becoming a Christian. It could be pride. It could be sinful anger. It could be lust. I don't know what it is that lingers on in your life. That one sin that above all others is likely to hold you back from progress. You are not the best member. You are not the member that you want to be. 
in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because that sin holds you back. Keeps you from progress. I wonder what sin it is that you are battling with. That's another hindrance. Thirdly, notice the temptation that comes from without could be another hindrance. Temptation comes from Satan, doesn't it? But it may come from Satan through other people. They even come from your phone. How many of you are being kept from prayer, from service to the church by your phone? Spending too much time on your phone. Being tempted to watch pornography on the phone. You are being tempted to be less of a faithful wife or husband because of your phone. You go to church late because of your phone. Sometimes while you are sitting in church, you are scrolling your phone. You pretend to be reading the Bible there, but you are reading messages on your phone. The phone! The phone! That's the temptation. That's the hindrance. The hindrances we meet with during the race. Notice in the third, third place, the preparation to be made for the race. How can we run this race? We need to prepare. In a real race, a racer must throw off all superfluous clothing before they can effectively compete in the race. Athletes don't go onto the track with gumboots, with things in their pockets, and all manner of encumbrances. They don't do that. They free themselves of all that because they want to be as light as possible so they can have the advantage. Even so, in the Christian race, we must throw off anything that easily entangles. And the writer to the Hebrews states two things that we must lay aside. First, he says we must divest ourselves of every weight. Listen. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. Every weight. And the weight is a mass or a burden. And the weight, the author of Hebrews might have been talking about, are wrong beliefs. Here were a people, Christians, they had turned away from sin. They had become Christians. They had become followers of Christ. But here they were now. 
They want to go back to Judaism. They want to go back to Mosaic sacrifices. They want to go back to things that would only present Christ in vague form. That's what they were being tempted to go back to. And the writer to the Hebrews was saying to them, no, don't do that. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And surely the lesson from here is that wrong beliefs can weigh you down. They can weigh down your heart. They can entangle your feet. They can distract your attention. They can deplete your energies. Wrong doctrine can do that. And there are people who glory in the fact that they don't know anything. They don't like doctrine. They don't care about doctrine. I'm just a Christian, they say. And then take a careful look at their lives and you find that they are very ineffective because they don't know anything. They don't know how to live their Christian life. They can't teach anybody. They can't be effective. You can't be effective. And it's not just about not knowing anything. Sometimes it's about knowing the wrong things. They sub you of spiritual energy. And that is what it was doing to the Hebrews. They were being held back by these weights. I wonder what weight is holding you back from being at your best. Another thing they were called to divest themselves of was sin. Let us lay aside every weight, but not only that, and the sin which so easily ensnared us. The sin which so easily ensnares us. Sin there means offense. To ensnare or to beset, and hence the idea of a besetting sin. To ensnare is to skillfully surround. And I want you to imagine a racer supposed to be running his track from beginning to end. He can see the prize and he must be running toward the prize. When he is ensnared, well, people come around him. To, to prevent him from running to the prize. He's surrounded, he's distracted, he is prevented. And this is the idea here. Sin surrounds you so that you can't get to your prize. You can't see your prize. You can't run effectively. You can't finish the race. Besetting sin can thwart your goal of finishing the Christian race. So you need to divest yourself of that sin. You need to free yourself of that sin. 
it is said that the army of Alexander the Great, you have heard of that great general, Grecian general, he was, he was advancing on Persia, which is present day Iran. He was leading his soldiers there. At one critical point, it appeared that his troops might be defeated. The soldiers had taken so much plunder, you see, from their previous campaigns, and they had become weighed down. They had become heavy. So they were losing their effectiveness in this combat. Alexander thought immediately that all the spoils need to be thrown into a heap and burned. The soldiers didn't like that. They were hoping to enjoy their booty, their spoil. They must now burn it. They didn't enjoy it. They didn't like it. But the command, they must obey. And so they did. They burnt up all of the spoil and they became lighter. Someone says it was as if wings had been given to them. They walked lightly again and victory was assured. Even so, you must lay down your weight, your sin, whatever it might be. Lay it down. And you will run quicker and faster. You will reach your goal more easily. That's the preparation to be made. Let's note in the first place the, the fortitude required to win the race. The fortitude required to, the win, to win the race. And the writer to the Hebrews says that the race must be done with endurance. Have you noted that word in verse 1? And the sin which so easily ensnares us. And then he says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. With endurance that word translated endurance can also mean patience or staying power or stamina or resistance we must show resistance as we run and resistance actually sounds or suggest that we are not enjoying it when you have to control yourself normally you are asked to control yourselves about things you enjoy control them take them in moderation but when you must persevere you persevere through things you don't enjoy things you don't like things that are not exciting but you must Persevere, you must endure them. And the Christian race is enjoyable, but it is also one that calls for endurance, for perseverance. And in the New Testament, the characteristic of a man of perseverance is expressed, first of all, 
in not being swerved from your goal. You can see the price. And you will not be swerved by anything. You must go for the price, whatever it takes. You must go for the price, whatever suffering you have to endure. You must go for the price. You must endure it. Those of you who are old enough must have watched the boxing match between Muhammad Ali and George Foreman in Zaire, as it was known then. It was called the Rambo in the Jungle. Foreman was a pounder, and Ali knew he would be pounded. They fought for eight rounds. And Foreman really pounded Ali. Left, right, center, he hit him everywhere. Ali protected himself. But the most commendable characteristic in Ali was perseverance, endurance. He took it. He took it. He took it. And in the eighth round, Foreman became so tired that Ali could see that his moment had come. <laughs> and he took the moment and knocked out Foreman, who was the favorite to win that fight. The manner in which Ali endured or persevered is how you as a believer must persevere. Some believers are too weak. A little temptation, a little suffering is enough to move them to give up. I'm a Christian and I'm, a, I'm having a headache. Why should I have a headache as a Christian? I'm giving up. I'm stopping. And little things are enough to put you out of the race. Endure, Paul said. Those who must win the prize are not swelled from their goal. They are also characterized by being loyal to the faith, loyal to piety. They are loyal. Like a faithful wife, a faithful, beautiful wife, who is being lured this way and that way, tempted by all kinds of men, but who has given herself to remain loyal to her husband, regardless of the temptation around her. That's what it is. And it is required to win the race. Fifthly, notice with me the inspiration we need for the race the inspiration we need for the race. And the inspiration we need is the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. Listen to verse 1. Therefore, we also, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. What is the writer to the Hebrews saying? For these heroes of faith that are recounted in chapter 11 ran their race. They also knew what it was to be tempted. They knew what it was to be persecuted. They knew what it was. But they endured the rest. They pressed on. They persevered. Abraham's faith was tried much, but he did not waver. Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, we are told they all obtained a good testimony through faith. They finished their race. And they finished it well. Here you are, members of Riverside, at this moment in time, you've been sitting over the last few days, listening to all kinds of testimonies and hearing all manner of names that you have no idea about. Men who laid the foundations for this church. Men who served well, they moved on, but they served well. They contributed to the laying of this foundation. Some have gone on to glory. They must inspire you to run your race as well as they did. Mr. Bota was encouraging us to record history. If you don't record history, how will you know about these clouds of witnesses? How will you draw inspiration from anybody who lived in the past if you have no record of what they did? The cloud of witnesses, that is our inspiration. Finally, let's note together the great incentive the greatest incentive to finishing the race. And the greatest incentive is Jesus. Listen. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. 
Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We must look to him. We must fix our eyes on him. Jesus was also in a race. Before he began the race, the father had promised him a bride. But if he would have the bride, he must pay the dowry. To pay the dowry, he would be required to obey the law, he would be required to suffer, he would be required to shed his blood. That is essentially what it would take to have his bride. And this bride is part of what is referred to here as the joy set before him. You can have this. You can have this joy. But to have that, you must suffer. You must die. You must shed blood. And the Lord gave himself. He provided the first example of persevering through suffering. In the days of his flesh, he trod undeviatingly the path of faith. Remember, he had the joy set before him. And that drove him, that drove him to endure the cross, to despise its shame. And the death of the cross was a most humiliating death. It was a death that the Romans set for the scum of the society, the, the outcasts, the, the robbers, the, the seditionists. Anyone who was considered a misfit was taken there, and they were made to suffer there for hours on end until they died. The Lord Jesus Christ was put through that. He wasn't paying for his sins because he was a righteous man. Imagine, therefore, a perfect, righteous man being made to suffer as a sinner. Not his sin, but the sin of the world. All that you and I deserve to suffer in hell forever, the Lord Jesus Christ suffered it on that cross. He didn't have to go to hell. The cross was hell. He suffered hell there. His father forsook him there. 
and he was willing to go through that because of the joy that was set before him. You, you must be willing to go through it because of the prize that is set before you. You must be willing to resist temptation. You must be willing to endure persecution, to endure suffering, to endure discomfort in order to get the prize that is before you. He provided the first example. Secondly and lastly, he is the rewarder of all the faithful who complete the rest. And how encouraging this is. He went through the race himself. And he got to the end. He received his prize. And he watches you as you run. And he cheers you on. He cheers you on. He cheers you on. Sometimes you feel discouraged. But he lifts you up. Sometimes you even backslide. He doesn't let go of you. He brings you back. He cheers you on until you get to the end. And when, he, when you get to the end, he himself gives you the prize. He gives you himself he lets you into his kingdom. He lives with you and blesses you forevermore. He rewards you. He is the rewarder of all the faithful who complete the race. He will enable you to serve in his glory. Well, that is the greatest incentive. So I want to end in this way. Let us, therefore, persevere in the race that has been marked out for us until at length we have been called to receive the prize in these dawns. Well done! Good and faithful servants. You've been faithful over a little. I will have you be faithful over much. Welcome into my kingdom. Let us persevere. And at length, we will see, receive the prize for which we have been called. Brothers and sisters at Riverside, the race is still on. We began it how many years ago? 40 plus, I believe. The race is still on. The race is still on. You must finish the race. Don't allow the world, don't allow persecutors, don't allow deceivers to distract you.
to move you off track. The race is still on. Keep your eyes on the Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And he will at length reward you to the glory of God and to his glory as well. Thank you.